Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Brinka, brinka. Father Nathan, Father John, here we are back in the man cave for round two of the evening. This is coming out, of course, next week, though. Father Nathan's topic, which always seems to follow my excessively long podcast. I know, but I made you do that podcast. You made me do it. I made you do it. So... So, uh, by now, by the time this podcast comes out, we will uh, either have been on confirmation retreat or not. So, right now, uh, the, the mountains are getting pounded with snow, and it's supposed to be one to three feet. Yikes. So, uh, the bus company really decides whether or not we go or not. Ooh. So, uh, we have... What? So, that's why you just talked to Shannon? Yeah, Might I just talked to, to Shannon, yeah. 500, 500 kids from Cabrini, Immaculate Heart of Mary, Craig, Meeker, and Rangeley, which is probably bringing like 375 kids. Uh, that's a joke. There's only there's not even 375 kids in those schools. Come yeah, on. I got you good. I got you good. Tyler Dildine, I got you. Okay. Um, And then uh, Akron. Akron. Akron's sending guys out. Nice. So we'll see. So uh, there's actually a part of me that hopes it gets canceled, mm-hmm. not because I don't want to be with the kids, but because one to three feet of snow in the mountains would be awesome. We need the snow. We Otherwise, met, it's going to be some fires this summer. Yeah. We met a park ranger, as we said on a previous podcast, and she says, if it gets really bad, she does a called a shot ski. Shot ski. Which is where they line shots up on a ski and then all take them together. Like, and that supposedly brings snow. Brings snow. So maybe they already know. did it. Can I share a quick... Uh, Email my favorite email regarding the follow up to the fallout, so to speak, of my uh, going to Rome. Oh yeah, this is from Nina Roselle. Well, hang on a second. I thought we should reiterate, just in case they skipped the last podcast. They're like, I don't freaking care about RCIA, but you know, this one might be more interesting. So you let the cat out of the bag. I'm going to Rome. That's right. You should have listened last week. I'm moving to Rome in two in two months. We're not going to keep. Arrivederci, fratelli. That's right. Well Carissimi. done. Hello. Tanti alguri. That's all I know. Best wishes. Nina Roselle said this is like Sam Decker going to the NBA a year early. She's a Wisconsin girl. Oh, that's right. Right. It's not Kevin Pangos, but you know. Kevin Pangos. Kevin Pangos. Yep. That's it. That's yep. all I wanted to say. Yep. So we'll figure out uh, something. Right now I'm uh, taking you know applications for replacements for John. That's right. Um, you have to... We like, had a Dominican we met this weekend who was like, hey. That's right. Father Luke yeah. um, from uh, St. Dominic's, obviously, in Denver. Um, he listens to the podcast, and he's like, hey, if you're looking for somebody else, I was just like, too soon, buddy. Too, too soon. soon. I didn't even pack my stuff yet. He's that's right. moving somebody in. And then I was like, well, I'd, I, I don't know. I'd, I could see myself ending up with somebody like him on the rebound. We're in the stages of grief. R-E-B-R-E-B-O-U-N-D, rebound. Is that from the Orange Crush days? No, that was from Mount Zion High School days. Oh, nice. Uh, but, I mean, like, I'll be on the rebound. There's so five just, stages. Just of, be careful. There's you know? five stages of grief, and uh, I think one of them is, like, to kind of compromise. What is that, the third stage? It's like you start, really? to, bar- you start to bargain. Oh, you're, yeah. You're in the bargaining stage. So you've worked through the isolation and denial and the anger, and now you're in yeah, I bargaining. <laughs> I don't think I'm through the anger yet but yeah i don't think i'm through the isolation yet so here we are frigid on a chilly evening it's cold as ice bump willing to sacrifice a love it's amazing if i just say a line from a song in the 80s or 90s it just 
cues him off. Never take advice. Bump. Now, I used to work. I used to work, and the only thing that was playing the whole time was 106.7 The Fox. And so it's like all those kind of songs. Oh, so yeah. if you ever worked in a grocery store, like, have you ever heard the song, I'm a man on a mission to love you? I, I think we think might so. actually make that the podcast intro. It is horrible. Do you, you but want it played it? <laughs> it would play like every morning at ten AM in the in the grocery store. For people who think we don't have any boundaries, we actually do. I was gonna do that hip hop song a couple weeks ago. Your your That's song true. of the spring and you said Bastocosi. Actually it was funny because uh I mentioned so at my homily a few weeks ago, um I mentioned that I put on a song at uh Carl and Sophia Bunderson's Wedding, which I, you know, neglected to give them the shout out last time. So, to the to the new Bunderson the Wunda family, Bunda, the Wunda Bunda Bundestad wedding. Uh, so Joel Barstad's daughter Sophia and Carl Bunderson were joined in matrimonial union in the Byzantine uh, rite uh, at St. John Vianney Chapel, and it was amazing. Um, but during the during the dance circle, what the Tim Tim Barstad said, "Do you want to you know put on a song?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, which one? I was like, I got to go with Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Mo Lover by Sean Kingston and Justin Bieber. Um, but the other song I was going to put on was this, the, the one you mentioned. And this kid at uh, at Cabrini said, oh, yeah, that's my shower music. And I said, do you listen to the lyrics of that song? And he's like, uh, kind of. And then the mom said, should he not be listening to it? I was like... I'm gonna walk away from this one. Just walk away. Drop the mic. That's right. Walk away. So yeah, that was the first time ever the Vunda uh, Bunda wedding, ex seminarian. Yep. Marrying the daughter of a seminary professor. Yeah. In the seminary chapel. Ooh la la. In the Byzantine rite. Yep. With Father Michael Olo. Olo. Yep. That's all I got. That's all you got. I'm ready for some Chipotle. I'm starting to get hangry. Hangry. All right, so I wanted to do I want to do a follow up from a, a podcast we did before on guilt, um, and we promised this podcast. So Brenna Brown, it's actually Brene. I know Sinit. Yeah, Sinit Zaleski corrected us. Yeah, sororally corrected us. So I mean, we're we're taking her at her word. Uh, Brene, B R E N E with an accent over the second E, I believe. Um, meow meow meow. Brene, Brene. Brene. It's yeah, it's second E. Anyways, so Brene Brown, she wrote this book that we've mentioned on the podcast before, Daring Greatly, um, which uh Jen Lozier uh recommended to Father Peter Musset. And uh the Father Peter and I were talking about it at convocation. Um and I was like, Oh yeah, that reminded me I still need to do that podcast on shame. Well, so then, um Are we using the intro the intro song, Shame? Oh Boat yeah, that's right. Of shame? No, we'll have to use it too. Yeah, cliche. no, no, no. We'll do that one. But, Such uh, a good song. But we'll 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 do the man on a mission to love you. Avit, Avit, Brene. I know. Brene. See, you say tomato, I say tomato, tomato, tomato. Okay, we're done. Let's call the whole thing <laughs> off. Pow. Anyways, um, but I also want to reference this book, uh, by Leon Cass. Oh yeah, uh, the beginning of wisdom, which oddly enough was taught by. Joel Barstead. Joel Barstead, yeah, um, in our uh, theological anthropology class. And this is where I first came into to shame as not just like something psychological or sociological, but like shame entered the world through sin. 
And uh, he actually, because we, shame is talked about a lot in, you know, like the theology of the body, they were naked without shame. And then uh, you have the entrance of sin into the world, and then, you know, he was naked and afraid, so he hid himself. Leon Cass actually waits and discusses it in his uh, section on uh, Cain and Abel, which is an excellent chapter. It's called Fratricide and Founding. Mm. Pretty much um, everything that John and I, you know, deal with, you know, with each other. Raising Cain. Raising Cain, yeah. Fratricide. So, I want to find the... Where it is? Darn it. It's only about a thousand page book he's holding in his hand right now. Going through each page. Just talk about something for like five seconds. You want me to do shout outs? We can wrap this thing up. No, stop it. (laughs) We all know how this is going to go. Shame is bad. Right? We we discussed this last time. No, we talked about guilt last time. Guilt is uh, good. Shame is bad. Mm-hmm. What the heck? Come on, I, Nancy, let's do this. I just had it marked. All right, just make something up then. Seriously, the quality of these podcasts is just going from bad to worst here. I can't believe people listen to it. We're, we're always Stop shocked. Stop saying that. But it's true. We just had like a minute of no, nothing, followed by five minutes of... Crap! Good Lord. You could have located at least the page prior to this podcast. I had it marked. I don't see you're making me feel shame right now. <laughs> That's because this act is identified with who you are, right? Which is bad. Hey, seriously, pal, you want to press pause on the computer? I'm going to stab you. <laughs> this is going to happen. Uh, so this is what I'm leaving. And, yeah, this you know, is what you're leaving, all right. And, uh, you know, there, there's pros and cons and everything. But I will be going, and uh, we're hoping for Father Mike Rapp... Are good. <laughs> it's freaking gone. Leon Cass, we're impressed. You own Duh. you own books. We know you don't read them. It's okay. This is so annoying. Do you well, want to just press pause? Either I'm embarrassed, well, press or I'm guilty, <laughs> or I'm shamed. All right, let's well, just go to Brene. I have these actually. Marked. I don't. I don't want you to feel shame. Yeah, certainly don't want you to be naked without shame. Too late, John. Golly, Brene. Do you, do you have the page on this Like one? I said, uh, if anybody would like to apply for the co-host of Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the first quality is you need to be a total... <laughs> and then from there, you just need to have a little bit of intelligence. There you go. Gosh! All right. Here we go. This is how Brene Brown defines shame. While you're blabbering on about something, I swear to you, I'm going to find the stupid quote. I'm trying to... Trying to focus here. Here we go. She says, Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. So one more time. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. So she mentions multiple ways in which people can feel like shame. Appearance and body image, money and work. Motherhood, fatherhood, family, parenting, mental and physical health, addiction, sex, aging, religion, surviving trauma, and being stereotyped or labeled. Or one that she leaves out was like being the co-host of a podcast with a narcissist. That's true. And a histrionic. I was going to say, though, the um, uh, the inability to le- learn languages. A lot of shame on that. I uh, We were on this convocation with all the priests, and there's like 150 priests, but a lot of them are multilingual. Mm-hmm. A lot of the priests, you know. 
um, have studied in Italy, just can just well, pick up Spanish, Italian, Swahili, whatever. Yeah. And I'm just like... French is easy. They'll I'm say. just this like total idiot. So I, I really was actually... There was a lot of shame around... Shame. Shame. Boatloads of shame. Yes. Around the... Uh, this even studying Italian and beginning this and being like, I am just a total loser. Everybody can learn languages except for experience of believing that I am flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Here's my question for you, Father Goebel. I am flawed. This yes. is I, I'm not particularly good at learning languages. Mm-hmm. I think the problem is, it seems to me, when you make that conclusion, therefore I'm unworthy of love. Therefore I am not good. Yeah. But I but I really am. In a sense, I can say I'm just not good. Even the way you pick up Italian for a month before you went to Italy with your grandma, with I your, studied with your it, nona, nona. I studied it for two years in college. I'm just saying. Yeah. You know? Um, but it seems like we're not going to. Oh, we're look, not, we're the not loon gonna clock no, just we don't, ran. We it's going to ruin it. It's going to ring again. <laughs> okay. It's your damn loon clock, all right? Be silent. The. Uh, um, so Don't talk I, about the children like that. I just think that the, that's coming with me. By the way, I'm taking that to Rome. Yeah. The um, the question, of course, is because Brené or Brené or whatever it is is um, non. This is a secular, or psychological understanding of it. Yeah. But it seems like we are flawed by original sin. Yes. And the question is, do we derive the conclusion? Therefore, I'm unlovable. I'll be forgotten. I will be abandoned. I'm not good. Something like that. I'm not beautiful. Is that it, or is it actually like she's saying, the way that shame makes us feel flawed is the problem? What she's going to get into, and and there's another quote from her that we'll bring up, is that you cannot eliminate shame from your life, which I think is very interesting because she's not coming to it from like a theological, anthropological perspective. Right. She's coming from it just looking at society and man in general. And saying, this happens to a lot of people. You cannot eliminate shame from your life, but you can become what she calls shame resilient. And I think I think that's an excellent point. The reason why I wanted to bring up um, Leon Cass is because wherever that is in this Leon, Leon in this 700-page book, is that he focuses in on the experience of Cain and Abel in terms of their two sacrifices. So you have Cain, who is, um, uh, he gardens, he like, you know, is a farmer. Mm-hmm. And then Abel is the, you know, the, the shepherd. And, you know, so he brings an offering and Cain brings an offering. But then what happens is Cain starts focusing more on the fact that his offering was received, meaning Abel's offering was received and his was not. So then now all of a sudden there becomes this rivalry He's better, I'm worse. Mm. And that happens, it's just played over and over and over. And it's it's a movie you haven't seen yet, but it's an important um, moment in the movie of The Island. Uh, there's this movie called The Island, not the one with Leonardo DiCaprio, um, but this other Russian film. And the monk in the movie keeps asking this other monk, why did Cain kill Abel? And he never answers the question, but look at the people in your life and start asking yourself the question, why did Cain kill Abel? Because we have certain feelings around uh, persons, even persons that we're like, close with, possibly family members, friends, spouses, um, fellow priests, and when we're around them, all of a sudden it's, they're better, I'm worse. 
and we start to collapse in on ourselves or there becomes a point where it's like they need to be eliminated. Mm-hmm. I need to somehow find a way to become better than them, which is crazy because many times that other person is looking at you and saying, I need to become better than them mm. or they're going to somehow take you know, what, what is rightfully mine. And it's so sad. And especially in, in the church and in, you know, in you know, workplaces or families where this happened. I mean, that's just a really dangerous question. I don't know if, if you kind of have it like in your in your family, but like who does dad love more? Yeah. Who does mom love more? I, I don't like that. Well, I think it's in every it's in every family. It's in, in some way. Every family, but I don't think it's a question of more. I think there is a, a way in which a parent loves a child differently from another, and then, but then the other one sees they get that kind of love, right? You know, yeah, we, you and I talk a lot about the um, beloved son. You mm. know, it's kind of a big thing right now in yeah. seminaries and priesthood to, to reflect on the fact that you are a beloved son. But what happens to the beloved son in Genesis? Well, which one, Joseph? Yeah, he gets he gets his butt thrown down a well, right? Because he he loves to gloat over the fact that he's the beloved one, right? And that's part of the problem is the that particular uniqueness of love. If it leads to, um, I, yeah, just we spend so much of our life comparing ourselves to other people and to the way that we are related to other people, and uh, it's just so destructive. And even within the church, I mean, you know, all the priests were together, but there's you know, priests are human just like everybody else. He found the page. Found the I page. I can stop blabbing. But I, I mean that. You no. Know, one yeah. of the challenges of it, we had this um, conference this last week. We were talking about it last week uh, um, on how do we become unified as a presbyterate, as a group of priests. Yeah. And um, we never talked about this. It was a lot of, uh, you know, kind of, well, old priests are this, young priests are this, blah, blah, blah. And, and it's part of it is like to just uh, dig deep in prayer and to look at the 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 movement of shame and how it moves us to sin. A lot of times we talk about sin, you know, in the confessional from the pulpit, we don't actually talk about what's driving it. What's driving yeah. fratricide? Shame. You know? Yeah. What's driving a lot of our sins, you know, it's it's that shame. Yeah. It's that experience of unlove and just saying I'm not good because of I'm flawed. Yeah. And I'm not as good as that guy. Yeah. Or this priest or yeah. my brother or my sister or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting, too, because even in the Gospels, you have one disciple that's described as... Beloved. The beloved. Carissimo. And that's right. Well done. Thank you. You're I'm, getting I'm there. I'm working on it. So then, um, so then you have, in the, in the spectrum of the disciples, you have all of the 12... And then you have, you know, kind of the the three who kind of get picked out for everything. And then you have the one, the beloved, John the beloved. What was the experience of the other disciples, you know, in the face of Jesus's particular love that was both given and received by John? Because it doesn't mention that. It does mention like that they were fighting over who was the greatest. Mm. Maybe something of that was... Yeah, you know what, John? You may be his beloved one, but you don't know diddly squat about running a parish. And you don't know diddly about, you know, like fishing or whatever else. Like, we're always in the locker room. Right. Or we're always in the whatever the woman's equivalent would be. Because, <laughs> like, you know, they're just a constant comparison. Yeah. And um, 
this is the quote that I wanted to share, and I'm I'm terribly sorry for the previous previous distraction. Um, it was it was it was in a previous chapter. Sorry. Um, this is what Leon Cass writes: because we are now beings with a nascent sense of pride, which can easily be wound, wounded. We care about whether we measure up to our own idealized self-image, and we look anxiously to others for their assessment of our worthiness. When we see ourselves being seen by the other, we cannot hide from ourselves the painful awareness of our own inadequacies and weaknesses. We are ashamed. Hmm. So who is looking upon you? That's where I think the beloved son or the beloved daughter is very good. Because we look, we compare ourselves with the world, the flesh, and really the devil. And we say, how do I measure up in the sight of all of these people? The world, meaning am I successful? Am I popular? Am I like, do I have it all together? Did I find the right page when I was, I pressed the record button? That's mildly embarrassing. Whatever. Okay. Flesh. How's my body? How, how is my image? Am I a sexual creature? Am I attractive? Am I, will, am I able to attract others and are others attracted to me? Both sexually, but also intellectually. Both, um, I don't know, uh, sociologically, emotionally. Um, I don't know what else, what one would I be missing? Technologically, I've got an Asus computer and other people have Apple. Like, is there a way in which I'm just like, what a loser, what a loser, you know? Um, So then the world, the flesh, which I would even, I mean, this is kind of a, I'm just kind of thinking out loud on this, but like even spiritually, like the, the, the flesh, mm, body, soul, but uh, never mind. I would put the soul actually in the devil because the devil is pure spirit. So then how do I measure up in the eyes of the evil one? Meaning, am I winning? Mm Mm-hmm. Have I have I stayed ritualistically pure for the last, you know, however long? Have I not um, overindulged in terms of alcohol or tobacco or sex or, you know, like, you know, punching people, anger, whatever it is that your sexual sin might be, then it's just like, I ha- I've been doing this. Well, forget it. Yeah. Forget your image of all of those things and now... Um, Brady, Father Brady was talking to us about that the other day, and that's what I was thinking about was at the beginning of the conferences um, in uh, the Ignatian exercises, the first task that one must do is what? The first task? Yeah. Do you remember what he said? See how. Oh, see how the Lord looks upon you. The Lord looks upon you. Right. Instead of composing our understanding of what, who is God and how am I in relation to him, see it from the Lord's perspective. Yeah. That's where I think the beloved sonship and the beloved daughterhood is actually really good because we have our own idealized self-image and it's always in comparison to others. And how am I winning or am I losing? Am I better or worse? Am I fatter or thinner or whatever it may be? IQ points, um, IRA, um, is my fantasy team doing better than somebody else's? Right. Fill in the blank. Yeah. Ultimately, it's about you in relationship with the Lord who has created you and redeemed you in Christ. I think that's right on. I, I, it's hard to live, though. It's just somebody who seems to be back in that. The one thing I would say that um, 
unites the world, the flesh, and the devil is the desire to measure, right? Hmm. I was reading this morning, today's gospel is from John chapter 3, which is just awesome. We're, we're in John right now, you know, that's oh, just yeah. the best. John 3, I think it's like verse 18 or 19, he says that the one who is sent by the Father speaks the words of the Father and gives the Spirit without measure. In the Greek where there's metros, literally like without measure. And um, I was I was kind of meditating on that this morning uh, at the Stanley Hotel, which is just really creepy. Mm-hmm. Laying in bed, Larkin fetched us breakfast burritos, which was wonderful. But I was contrasting the the giving of the third person, the Trinity, without measure, with really the beginning of the modern era it begins in the Renaissance with that that line: "Man is the measure of all things," hmm. and the m- desire to measure and to be able to control through measurement. This is who I am. And that, and this is what I am. This is what the world is. This is what we're doing. Everything's about us measuring. And so much of the Christian life, and the freedom that I think become to become shame resilient is rooted in that surrender to say, I don't measure anymore. I think as Christians, that's where we take the next step and to say, God's the one who measures. And if I suck at languages and He's sending me on for studies, yes, forget it, because He measures all things and He gives the Spirit without measure. Yeah, God gives of Himself without measure. We're crazy to start measuring ourselves according to the logic of the world, the flesh. And then Satan's always measuring things disproportionately. Yeah. Right? It's always accusation and deception yep. to, to shift it, to kind of mess with us, to say you're actually this uh, or this, or it actually looks like this, or this person is this, and it's just mm-hmm. crazy. One can never fall. I don't know if this is true, so, you know, like, sound the sound the you know, heresy alarm. One can never fall farther than Adam and Eve because they had, like, they were not under the effects of concupiscence. And they deliberately and willingly chose against God. It wasn't like they accidentally bumped into a button and then caused the downfall of the world. And the first thing that happens when they do that is not that God like rubs their face in it and like squirts them with a spray bottle and says, bad dog, bad dog, you are so bad. How could you do that? Do you know what this does to me? Do you know what this does to my plan? And do you know what this does to creation? Mm-hmm. The first thing that he does is he announces the the first gospel that you will, um, that the the woman will bear a son and the son will crush your head, speaking to the evil one. So we have to remember that God... Um, in Christ, there is no condemnation, and Christ has overcome the evil one. It doesn't mean that we should go on sinning. It doesn't mean that I don't need to be saved from my whatever sin it may be. However, um, in Christ, I've already been given hope, mm-hmm. and so one who one who like despairs ultimately is one that doesn't believe that Christ is powerful enough to overcome the sin, which is ludicrous. Like that's, that's just, that's just the evil one. Like having, having fun with you. Luda. It's ludicrous. <laughs> yo, Tayo Cruz, tell them how you feel. I'm sorry. To, that was good. I, I didn't mean to. Yeah. So then, um, uh, just a few more things. Uh, a few more things or one more thing. What? Dude, you'll get your Chipotle. Come on. <laughs> the, this is what Brene says. And I think it's, it's an answer to this. The answer is shame resilience, as we say. Note that shame resistance is not possible. Resistance is futile. 
Okay, as long as we care about connection, the fear of disconnection will always be a powerful force in our lives, and the pain caused by shame will always be real. But here's the great news. In all my studies, I found that men and women with high levels of shame resilience have four things in common. Have four things in common, and learning to put these elements in action is what I call gremlin ninja warrior training, which is great, and I'll just run through them. Okay. One is recognizing shame and understanding its triggers. Two is practicing critical awareness. Three is reaching out. Four is speaking shame. Are you talking about how you feel and asking for what you need when you feel shame? And the most important, the most important, the most important action that one can take when either, when one of us is feeling shame, if you, you encounter another, is this. And she says, it's actually empathy. Empathy is connecting with the emotion that someone is experiencing, not the event of the circumstance. Mm. The reason why I say that is because it's not just about knowing yourself and just be like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling shame right now. You will have absolutely no idea that you're feeling shame, which is interesting because so many times we don't know that we are experiencing the attack of the evil one until someone in our life, a friend, a spiritual director, a priest, uh, a coworker, whoever, some fellow Christian says, that's that's not true, and that's from the evil one. Mm. Like, um, there used to be this guy named Zig Ziglar. He would call it stinking thinking, Okay. I am bad, I'm unlovable, this will never get any better. And actually, like when somebody pierces into that, um, it's amazing. So you actually need another. In order for there to be empathy, there has to be another. Mm. Which again, we go back to like some of the same fonts that we've been going through this year, which is friendship and community. You cannot become a, a, a saint alone. It's not just the fulfillment of the moral law. It's not just even about having the perfect prayer life. It's about receiving love from another and even accepting love, which is, I don't have love enough. I'm poor. And that's what Ignatius would sign his letters, poor in love, because he realized he needed not only the Lord and his love, but also the love of others. So if you feel like you're you're not enough, if you feel like you're not lovable, one thing that you can do is just go to another person whom you love and trust and say that so that they can give you love because sometimes we're hungry and we just want to say, well, I'll get through this. I'll make my own. I'll make my own love. Good luck. You can't. So you need other persons in your life. Hmm. This is well done. Oh, thank you, John. Apart, I just apart, affirm apart, you. Thank you. Apart from the, the lost page. No, I, I, I've never thought of shame as a reality that can only be identified in the interiority through the experience of the other. I think that is like, that's a very, very huge thing to kind of come to. I think it's not only the other, like small O, but also the other. And that's, and God. And that's where it's like, we discover who we are in the light of God. Right. And that's a wonderful and sometimes painful reality. Because he doesn't just like say, you know what, it's fine, no worries, I know you're a sinner, forget about it. It's also like, see what I have done, right? and see what I continue to do, and I mean, at least for us, I mean, not to get too autobiographical, one of the best things that we have done in the Companions and in the seminary was um, do this fraternal group thing, 
where it's kind of like, holy cow, I'm not the only person that feels like he's a total screw up. Right. And if you look at like, you know, programs and churches, whether it's like mom's groups or that man is you or et cetera, like men's groups, it's usually guys saying, you know what? I get angry too. And sometimes I don't pray or sometimes I feel like I'm a total loser. And it's not just like they're the, the whiny complainer loser club. They're actually saying, but I'm still loved. And I actually still love others, and that's okay. So, hopefully, by now you've realized, stop trying to live the Christian life by yourself. Stop trying to live it uh, just with, like, a mirror up against you where you're examining yourself. Um, Be in relationship with others, and then you'll start to grow. I don't know. Well, then. Tutto va bene. Yeah. Are you ready for a couple shout-outs? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Houdini Joe, shout out to you, my friend. I don't know who you are, but uh, he emailed us. Uh, he left on March 1st for the Navy. Oh, so, nice. One of Keith's friends. He's probably on the USS Ethan Allen. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and then Jonathan Vale, seminarian from Colorado, uh, who emailed us as well. Uh, Dave and Kevin Hall, longtime listeners. And then uh, Gigi Herman and her husband, Dave, who sent you a loon clock. That's who, them? Who are moving from White Plains, New York to Madison, Wisconsin. Wait a second, JJ, what? Gigi. Gigi Herman. Gigi Herman. Did they send the touch lamp one? I'm not sure. Gigi, thank you for the loon clock. Sorry, I think it's the touch it. lamp thank one. You. That's awesome. Yeah, there you go. Unless we're getting a third. And then that's. That would be a little. Insane. Looks like you're getting it over in Rome. That's right. That's all I got. Yeah, I don't have any other shout outs. Um, definitely one, you know, to Carl and Sophia Bunderson, which we said. And uh, to Brene Brown, to Sunit Zaleski, to all the people. Amen. Catholics. To the, to the clergy and the people. <laughs> Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Like us on Facebook. See ya. See you next week. <laughs>